gonna get you to grab your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to 1 Timothy chapter two. 1 Timothy chapter two, I wanna talk to you this morning about the priority of praying together. The priority of praying together. How many of you would agree with me uh, that priorities matter? Anybody here agree with that? Priorities matter. Um, it's important that we have priorities. How many of you would also agree that it's hard, to, hard at times to determine what should be priority? Would you agree with that as well? Um, I, the phrase always comes to my mind when I think about priorities, and that's the phrase, first things, first things first. It's important to put first things first. Things uh, become a mess when you put first things third or first things fourth or even first things second. Like, things can go bad for us when we do this. I'll never forget, I learned this lesson when my oldest daughter was uh, a baby. When she was born, we bought uh, a crib. And so, uh, it was, it's amazing during that season of life, everybody wants to give you things, and then you have to put it all together, right? And uh, I'll never forget getting this uh, baby crib, and, and I don't particularly like following the instructions that are given in a lot of these things that you put together. How many of you men would echo an amen to that? Um, and so I remember opening, unboxed it, uh, kind of glanced at the, the directions, but really didn't give much attention to them. And so I laid everything out in its sections, all the parts together, it was really systematic in it. And I began to put this thing together and I, I did a pretty good job with it. I don't think there was any parts left over. Everything went where it's supposed to go. And I did a pretty good job. I glanced every now and then just to make sure I was falling in line. And I'll never forget, I finished it. I was so proud. I was like, Adrian, come look at this. This is amazing. I put this together. Uh, help me get it to the baby room. Y'all made the same mistake, didn't you? <laughs> Only to get it to the door and to realize those knuckleheads built a baby bed that didn't fit, couldn't fit through the door to get in the room. And I'll never forget this moment. I was like, I was so frustrated and I grabbed the instructions and the very first thing that it said, unbox in the room. And I missed that. So I only had two options at that point. Uh, that was to take the bed apart and then to go reassemble it in the room or just to cram it through the door in anger. I chose the latter. And, um, and uh, then we had a little paint work that we had to do at the house on top of it. It's important to get first things first. It's important to have priorities because when we don't have priorities, things become a mess. And I wanna suggest to you this morning that the church in America, by and large, is in a mess. It's in a mess. Now, I think we would agree that America, in many ways, is in a mess as well, but oftentimes, Christians only focus on the mess of America. We don't think about the mess of the American church because the real problem in our nation is not necessarily the culture because the culture is what it's always been. The problem is, is that the church has lost its significance and supernatural power, therefore it can't impact culture. That's the real problem. And what we're seeing in the church of America today that the divorce rate inside the church is the same outside the church. Or we're seeing um, uh, adulterous uh, relationships and affairs within the church and it just goes overlooked. We see uh, many times that the, the value system of the world becomes the value system of the church and the families that make her up. And we see that the addiction to pornography or substance abuse is almost equal within the church as it is outside the church. We see this in studies that there are fewer Christians today living life on mission, sharing their faith with the world around them, and we're seeing fewer people come to faith in Christ in America. And here's what's shocking. America, Christianity in America is shrinking rapidly. 
And it, and it blows my mind, and this is why it blows my mind. We have never lived in an age or a generation that has more spiritual materials at our disposal than any other generation or age of the church. We have more copies in accessibility to God's word than in any other time in history. We have more ways to be discipled and grow in Christ from books to podcasts to conferences to everything under the sun to grow us spiritually and yet we're not looking more like Jesus, we're looking more like the world. And this is a real problem. And yet, there's another story right now in history being told, but it's happening in other locations. You realize over in the East, the church of Jesus is growing at a rapid pace. We see that, that countries like Iran and China and North Korea, nations that you wouldn't necessarily think being an explosive hotspot for Christianity is actually where the gospel is moving and flourishing at the most rapid pace we've ever seen in world history. We're seeing the church of Jesus Christ shrink in America and the land of the free and the home of the brave and all of the things that we love about the freedoms that we have. And yet in other parts of the world where the gospel is restricted and Christianity is, is looked down upon and at many times costs people their life, we see the gospel exploding and flourishing. Very little accessibility to the Bible, no resources and materials that are easily uh, attained or to be provided by the, by the church or any other Christian organization. And yet we see in those areas, there is a red hot passion and fire for Jesus that is turning those places on its head for the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. We see that there are locations where Christianity is outlawed and yet church attendance is the highest priority for the families. They understand that gathering together with the church might lead them to imprisonment or losing their jobs or maybe even losing their life and yet they are devoted to this. They're living on mission every day, sharing their faith, being bold in, in, in proclaiming the gospel to the community around them even though this proclamation might lead them to persecution, even death. And what you look at, when you look at those parts of the world where Christianity is flourishing and thriving, here's what you discover. The conditions in those places look a lot alike the conditions of the early church in the book of Acts. You see, what you see in the book of Acts is a church on fire, a church that's passionate about the gospel, a church that's walking in supernatural power. And here's what you discover with no complete copy of the Bible with no Christian resources, with no conferences. Imagine that, a world with no conferences with no podcast, with no internet where you can listen to every preacher under the sun at any moment of the day. With none of that, they turned the Roman Empire on its head, even though that following Jesus cost them everything. And here's what I believe is the difference. In much of the world today where we're seeing Christianity explode under those circumstances and what you see in the book of Acts with the growth of Christianity under those circumstances, here's one thing that you see that's constant. Prayer was the priority of the church. And what the real issue in the Church of America is, is not the absence of theological truth, it's not the absence of, of theological material, it's not the absence of spiritual growth strategies and discipleship and methods of sharing the gospel and advancing the Great Commission. It's the absence of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is the problem in the American church because prayer is very small, if existent at all, within the congregation of the average 
local church. Prayer is non-existent. And when prayer is non-existent, eyes right here, follow this. When prayer is non-existent in the church, the presence of God is non-existent as well. So fundamentally, because we've not gotten first things first, the American church is in a mess, and this is why there is a call for us to pray. This is why we, as New Beginnings Baptist Church, we wanna take some cues from our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. You know there's a church in China that they, it's one of the fastest growing churches in the world. And, and, and what causes that church to, they will tell you fundamentally, they never stop praying together. One church in particular has 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, corporate prayer meetings where members come and go throughout the day, throughout the week, and they're on their face before God and they're pleading to God for him to pour out his spirit. The church in Iran, many of those churches host not just weekly prayer gatherings, but daily or a couple of days a week, they gather together and they call and they go, you know why they do this? They have no other answers other than God breaking through and supernatural power. But because that is absent, and let's be honest, because it's not a desire, church in America is in a mess because we've not gotten our first things first. Now, I could just stop right there, but I'm not going to. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna build a case for this of why it is important why is it the priority of the local church to meet together regularly for prayer? And I'm gonna get you to look in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter two. We're gonna start reading in verse one in just a moment. Everybody, if you're there, just say the Bible is true. And I just wanna remind you, when we say the Bible is true, it means that it's God's word. It's, it's the truth of God's word, which means everything God says, we are to what? We are to, everybody say obey. We obey. So what does God have to say? What does his word have to say about gathering as a faith family for prayer? Look what he says here, verse one. First of all then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all the people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Now, uh, this letter that, that Timothy is the recipient, he's the recipient of this letter, it's written to him. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Now, something interesting about the Apostle Paul is his relationship with Timothy is that of a, like a, of a spiritual father and a spiritual son. He is a discipler, a disciple maker, Paul is, and Timothy is his disciple, is his apprentice, who is slowly taking over the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, what Paul is doing in writing this letter to Timothy is he's giving him very specific instructions um, on how to conduct business within the church. And there was a specific church that Timothy was engaging in this particular moment that Paul was addressing. It was the church in Ephesus. Now the church in Ephesus was a very dear and precious church in the heart of the Apostle Paul. If you go back and read Acts chapter 19 and 20, you'll see this relationship. Paul toiled with them for three years. He stayed longer with Ephesus than he did in any other location. You can even see the departure where they're weeping when Paul is leaving and he's weeping when he's leaving and they'll never see each other again. And this is a people that, that Paul loves very dearly. And, and Paul gets word that the church in Ephesus is in a crisis. 
And the crisis is, is that false teachers have crept in, begin to lead the people astray and begin to manipulate the gospel and how they function as a church. And so Paul sends his most trusted disciple to Ephesus where he is then going to get things back in order. He is the pastor that's gonna step in and help this congregation realign with what God wants. And so what Paul does is he doesn't just send Timothy, he sends Timothy a letter. And the letter of 1 Timothy, it's important that we understand the big picture and what's in here if we're gonna understand the passage we just read and the weight that it carries. Paul is giving Timothy, in this letter of Timothy, instructions of what he expects in this church, of what he expects in the church at Ephesus. And he's gonna talk about a number of different topics, a number of different areas of the church in order for the church to function as a healthy church. Let me give you a list of what he deals with here. In chapter two, verse three, Paul is gonna talk to the church about the priority of missions and evangelism. In chapter two, verse 18, eight through 15, he's gonna talk about proper behavior and responsibilities of men and women within the church and within the home. In chapter three, verses one through 13, he's gonna give very specific instructions on how to appoint elders and deacons and, and the leaders of the local church. In chapter four, one through 16, he's gonna instruct, give them instructions for sound biblical teaching and discipleship. Is that important? To be biblically sound in how we preach and teach and disciple? In chapter five, verse one, through chapter six, verse two, he's gonna talk about proper member care, how to effectively care for the body of Christ in a way that lifts them up and serves them well. And then chapter six, verses three through 17, he's gonna talk about true godliness, and how to manage finances and look at your resources from a biblical perspective. Now here's what's fascinating. All of these topics are important. And if you think about it, this kind of covers everything we do in many ways as a church. Like, like what, what, is, what is our mission? What's, what's the importance of evangelism? That's, that's huge for us. Like the roles of men and women within a church and how we should function as families within the larger family of the local church. Appointing good leadership, godly leadership, that's a pretty big deal, an important deal for the church. Caring for the membership and giving proper instruction and preaching and teaching ministry. How we view finances, all of those we would say are pretty important. Say amen to that. All those are pretty big deals, especially in the local church. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that Paul is saying to them, in the midst of all of this, there's one major truth he wants them to see, and that is this. Write this down if you're taking notes. Paul wants us to see that praying together is the first priority of the church. In the midst of all of the topics that he covers and all the functions of a healthy church and all of the things that we are called to do, listen to what Paul says in chapter two, verse one. He says, first of all then... First of all then, the word first there is the Greek word protos. It's where we get our English word priority. Priority. The word protos means first in order, first of importance. It's the highest of things you should do. So if you were gonna make a to-do list and you were gonna, okay, what's the most important thing? And I don't get anything else done, what needs to be the protos, the first, the priority. This is what Paul says. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all the people. Now notice this, listen to the weight of this. 
More important than establishing elders and deacons who understand qualifications. More important even than biblical preaching and discipleship. More important than even understanding gender roles within the church and within the home. More important than even member care or how we deal with our finances or what godliness looks like. Here's what Paul says. First of all then, prayer. Praying together must be the highest priority for a local church if they're gonna be healthy. But how do we know he's talking about corporate prayer is because everything else Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy is dealing with the local church and its function. Scholars agree on this, that Paul is saying, look, before you get to any of that, prayer, and specifically corporate prayer, must be the first and the highest priority. And if God's word says, listen to this, If God's word says something should be the first and highest priority, we have no right to say that it is secondary or third or fourth or even non-existent on the list. Would you say amen to that? Or do we not believe the Bible's true anymore? This is God's word here. That it should be the highest, the first and the highest priority. Now why is this so important? Paul understands that, yes, missions and evangelism is important. Understanding the role of men and women is important. Appointing godly leaders is important. Discipleship is important. Godliness is crucial. Management of finances is so important. But here's what matters most, corporate prayer. Why? Because we cannot do any of those things as God desires without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Our missions and evangelism, as good as our strategy is, it will fail if the Holy Spirit's power is not in our church. Our spiritual leaders cannot lead and direct the congregation without the filling of the Holy Spirit. We cannot disciple and transform the hearts of men and women, even redeemed men and women, without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We will never walk in godliness without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Money will never be something that we manage properly without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, first of all, before I get to the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth priorities of the local church, I want you to see that the highest priority is to pray. Samuel Chadwick, great prayer warrior and theologian says this. He says, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil Mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. The Apostle Paul knows the church can be busy doing a lot of things, but if it's not busy praying, then nothing else we do really matters. This is crucial for us to understand. We cannot experience true godliness apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is why Paul says prayer must be the highest priority. Pastor Bill Eliff says this in his book, um, The Presence-Centered Church. He says that prayer is not a side room of the church, but the foundation. The church in our nation has lost its foundation, the bedrock of a humble, repentant, fervent prayer. So why is the church of America in a mess? It's because we have put first things second or last, if it's even existent at all. Now, here's the question we gotta ask. Why is Paul so adamant? Why is he with this church of Ephesus 
So first of all, before I get to anything else, before we cover anything else, this has to be number one on your list. Why does Paul write that? I think we have an answer for this. I wanna get you to leave Timothy and I want you to go in your Bible to the left to Ephesians. Go to the book of Ephesians. Now, why are we going to the book of Ephesians? Because it's the same church. So Paul planted this church somewhere around uh, AD 55, he writes the letter of, 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 of Ephesians, the epistle of Ephesians, in around 60 to 62. He writes Timothy in like 63 to 65. And so before they received this instruction from Timothy, they received a letter a few years earlier. And I want you to listen to what Paul says about this church that he loves, what his desire is for them. And I believe it's why he's calling them to pray as first importance. Look what he says here in Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul is talking about his own personal prayer life and what he's praying for specifically for the local church in Ephesus. He says, from whom every, every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner beings. Now listen to Paul's prayer here. He's like, this is why I get on my face before God. This is why I bend my knees and I cry out to God because I want you to be strengthened with the might and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He wants the church of Ephesus to be a spirit-filled church that's strengthened by the supernatural power of God. Why does he want that? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now listen to the last phrase, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Do you hear Paul's prayer here? Paul is saying, like, I'm praying that you be strengthened by the might of the power of the Spirit of God. And here's why. It's because a church that's full of the Holy Spirit, you're gonna have the ability to begin to comprehend something that's incomprehensible. You're gonna to begin to understand the depth of God's love, the height and the width and the, the, the magnitude of the love that he has for you that you would be overwhelmed by him and captured by him because what happens is, is that when the spirit of God is moving in our life and we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it's not just divine insight that we receive, it's intimacy with God himself. How do we get to know the depth of God's love? Is it not by being with him? And then he says this, this is the outcome. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. How many would say amen that you want that? And I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what all that means and I want it. Filled with the fullness of God. And here is what Paul recognizes. Paul recognizes this, the presence of God is essential. The presence of God is essential. And this is why I believe he is calling the church in 1 Timothy to pray as the highest priority because Paul knows that what they need is a filling of the Holy Spirit, but the filling of the Holy Spirit does not come when, when there's no prayer. 
So if the church of Jesus, the local church of Jesus, I'll just say New Beginnings Baptist Church, just like the church of Ephesus, if they were going to experience Paul's prayer of Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 21, here's what that means. They must make prayer as the highest priority because the presence of God is essential and God's presence will not fill us when we don't pray. Now, here's what I love about this. This declaration Paul gives us all the way through verse number 19. And he's saying, I'm praying this for you. And I believe this is why he's calling them to pray. Now, look what he says in verse 20. Paul kind of goes in this rant of, of worship that gives us even more spiritual insight of why it is he wants us to pray. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, now to him, now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think. That's prayer of going to the Father and petitioning according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. Now, Paul's here for a moment. Now, listen to what Paul is saying. He's like, I'm praying that you would be filled and strengthened by the might of God's spirit to be filled with the fullness of God so that you could be overwhelmed by his love for you. And then he says, and I know the one I'm praying to and the one I'm calling you to pray to, he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, even more than you can ask him to do. So here's the question, is it possible for you and I, for our church, to be filled with the fullness of God? Is it possible? We have to pray. And when we pray, God is able to do even more than we can ask him to do. His capacity to give himself to us, check this out, Watch this. His capacity to give himself to us is always greater than our capacity to ask him for it. I love what he says in this last phrase, verse number 21. He says this. To him be glory in the what? Say it with confidence. In the church. To him be glory in the church. Now, why is that phrase so important? It's because a church that wants to be an echo of God's glory, a church that wants to glorify God as the way that God desires for us to glorify him, we must become a spirit-filled church. We must become a presence-centered church. We must become a church where we recognize that the presence of God is essential. Why is this so important? It's because when a church begins to operate in their flesh, when we begin to operate out of our giftedness, when we begin to operate out of our talents and resources and all of the great things that we have in the buildings and the facilities and the staff and the programs, when that becomes the center of the church, here's what happens. Before too long, that church begins to be self-exalting and self-glorifying. We make much of ourselves, and we brag on ourselves, and we think we are something when we do all of these things in our own power. And it's ama amazing what the church of Jesus Christ can do without the presence of God because of our resources and because of our creativity. But Jesus does not receive the glory from that. You see, 
Christ is glorified in a church, even though we have all the activities and the resources, those things are great, but here's what's most essential, the very presence of God. And so as a church seeks the face of God and we get on our knees and we cry out to him and we go, we have all of this stuff, but all of this stuff means nothing without your presence. What happens is God fills that church. He begins to do things that only he can do. So when we step back and we talk about the work of New Beginnings, we don't look at staff and resources and buildings and programming and strategy, we go, we can't believe what God is doing. We prayed, he answered, to God be the glory for everything that's happening in this place. I wanna, I, I wanna help you. Like, I hope you speak favorably of new beginnings when you're in the community. But I'm gonna ask you not to speak favorably of New Beginnings Baptist Church if you were gonna attribute any positive thing that you're gonna say about the church to any particular thing that we do. I'm gonna tell you, if there's any work that's gonna last, that's gonna survive the test in the future, it is gonna be the things that we have done only by the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. We cannot say it's our staff, we cannot say it's our buildings, it cannot say it's our programming, it cannot say it's anything that we have done in and of ourselves. I hope that your heartbeat is this. God is doing something at our church. I want people to be a part of that, not because of a particular thing, but because of the presence and the power of God is here. And when that happens, Christ is glorified in the church. And can I just, I wanna, wanna warn you, and this is really a warning for me, all right? The presence of God will not rest upon a self-exalting church. God will have no part of a church that glorifies herself. Everything has to go to Jesus. That's why praying together is so significant because when you pray together and God moves, you can't go, look at what we did. I had a conversation in the foyer a moment ago with a sweet family friends of mine and God answered a big prayer in their life. They've been praying for a decade. You know what they said? They didn't say, oh gosh, we, you know, we've, you, we've done this thing. Can you believe God answered our prayer? All the glory goes to Jesus and that's what it's supposed to be for the church, amen? Like this, this is essential for us. Jim Cimbala says this. He says, God has chosen prayer as his channel of blessing. He has spread a table for us with every kind of wisdom and grace and strength because he knows exactly what we need, but, only, but the only way to get it is to pull up a table and taste and see that the Lord is good. He goes on to say, he says this, the church is a spiritual organism fighting spiritual battles. Only spiritual power can make it function as God ordained. You believe that, church? And we gotta pray. And this is why I, I, I make this appeal to you. I, I, will, I will say this, I, this today, or this week rather, marks the two-year anniversary, anniversary of our prayer journey where God changed the trajectory of our church. And I don't have time this morning to tell you really any stories of what we've seen God do, but I can tell you this. Prayerfully, we're not the same church. I'm not the same pastor. We're not, we don't have the same focus as we did a couple of years ago. And that's because God has done a supernatural work. And this is why I truly believe as much, as, much today as I did two years ago that the future of New Beginnings Baptist Church will be dependent upon what happens on Wednesday nights as we get on our face before God and we seek him in prayer. Our corporate prayer meetings 
It is essential. And I'm challenging those of you in this room who say New Beginnings is your church home. I'm calling you to develop a corporate prayer rhythm. Like Paul says, this is, this is first of all. This is priority. And I'm not a good shepherd if I don't call you to make a priority what the scripture says we ought to make a priority. And I'm not saying that you have to be at prayer meeting every single week or you're not a good Christian. I'm saying this, that you need to develop a corporate prayer rhythm in your life so that there's a regular habit of gathering with the church on Wednesday nights in this time of prayer that God is calling us to. And I've had conversations for two years now with different folks and, and, and different ways of thinking and, and I love the dialogue, but I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna say something as lovingly as I can. For those of you in this room, you say, I don't have an interest in that whatsoever. Like, like corporate prayer meetings, it's not my thing, it's not for me. I wanna ask you two questions. And I wanna reframe that statement. So you're telling me that gathering with God's people to call on God's name, to show dependency, expressing it as a, as a body of Christ so that we together as the church might be filled with the presence of God. So you're telling me that's not your thing. Do you see a problem with that? Do you see a problem with that? And the second question I would ask is, why would gathering with God's people and this being a priority, a rhythm in your life, where we could seek the presence of God as he's commanded us to in his word? Like, how could you be okay with saying, that's, that's not for me? And I hear this, well, the prayer meeting just doesn't do anything for me. Again, a question, then why not? Like, like gathering with God's people to call on God's name, experiencing God's presence, you're saying it, it doesn't do anything for you to be with God's people in God's presence, praying like he calls us to pray. Again, I wanna ask you, do you see anything wrong with, like spiritually speaking, like that, that should indicate that something is not right. And it doesn't mean you don't love the Lord, it doesn't mean you don't have a heart for him, but that's an indicator that something is off spiritually. Because God's word is clear about this. And, and maybe I would just throw out this out to you. Maybe the prayer meeting is not about your feeling and what God does in you, but rather what God does in us. And maybe your role in the prayer meeting is not to get a feeling from God, but to intercede to God on behalf of others. You see, that's where we're really stepping out into the waters of what God has created the church to be, which is about us and not me. So here's the question we've gotta ask. What if we don't obey this command? What if we don't obey? What if we don't follow this command? Like what happens to the church that neglects this? I wanna answer that question. I'm gonna get you to leave Ephesians now and I want you to go to Revelation. Revelation chapter two. Because... The church at Ephesus is a major player in the New Testament. And the church of Ephesus receives several letters. They receive a letter from Paul, Ephesians, and they receive the letters to Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy. So Paul is initiating this congregation that he loves trying to disciple them, but you actually, they actually receive another letter. 
And this time it's not from Paul and it's not from Paul to Timothy to them. This time it's Jesus himself sending a message to the church at Ephesus. Now Jesus is gonna speak to them. In Revelation chapter two, we see this. Start reading in verse number one. Jesus says this to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands is a metaphor for the seven churches of Asia Minor, Ephesus being one of them. So the idea is the seven golden lampstands, God has placed them to be a light to the world in their geographical location. And then notice this, I the one who holds the seven stars but walk among the seven churches. Walk among the seven golden lamps. In other words, God's presence among his people means that he's, he's with us and he knows us. He knows the true condition of our heart regardless of the facade that we put up. Notice what he says here. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and, I found, and, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Now Paul's here for a moment. That's a pretty good word from the Lord, is it not? I know your work. I know you're busy. I know the ministries and he's pretty fond of their ministries. I know the labor and the toil that you guys are getting it done. I know that you stand for truth and you preach God's word and you're not compromising because of culture. He, they, get, they get commended for that. He knows that they're, they're, they're standing on, on doctrine is costing them. They're being persecuted, but they're enduring and he commends them for that. So we're not talking about just a crazy backslidden church who is just compromising with the world. This is a strong congregation that everyone else was saying, they're getting it done. Listen to what Jesus says next. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent means turn from. Now listen to this next phrase. And do the work you did at what? first if not so what happens when a church doesn't obey if not I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand I'll take away your influence so here's truth number three write this down what happens when a church doesn't heed this listen to this God's presence and power will not rest on a prayerless church God's presence and power will not rest on a prayerless church we might have great ministries and great activities, great theology, and we might stand against culture, and we might get some things done that are God-honoring, but the power and the presence of God will not remain on a church that's prayerless. Look what he says again in verse four. Don't miss this. In the midst of all of these great things that they're doing, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first, or your first love. What is the first love? It's intimacy with Jesus. What is the fundamental purpose of prayer? It's what? It's intimacy with Jesus. It's dependence upon Jesus. You've abandoned your first love. You've abandoned your affection and your intimacy. You love doctrine. You love Bible study. You love the acts of religion. You love the ministries, but you stopped loving me. How do we know that? Intimacy has been gone. The congregation as a whole stopped seeking the face of God and their love has grown cold. How do we know that? I love what Paul says here. You've lost your first love. Remember what Paul tells 
Jesus tells them, you've lost first love. Remember what Paul told them in Ephesians 3? I want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit so that you might have the comprehension of the incomprehensible love of Jesus, that the love of Jesus would so overwhelm you and you would know the height and the depth and the width of his love for you. This intimacy with God deepens our understanding of his love for us, which then in response grows our love for him. And when intimacy is interrupted, our love for Jesus grows cold. And a lot of times we don't even know it. That's why you have marriages that fail after 35 years. Didn't even see it coming. Why? You got busy managing a house and you didn't manage a relationship. And when the stuff you were managing was gone, relationship was over. Same is true for Jesus. You've abandoned your first love. Now, what's the antidote? What's the solution for this? I love this. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Remember the intimacy. First of all, you gotta go back and go, what was it like in my life when I was so passionate? I would do anything for Jesus. I just wanted to be with him. I just wanted to be with his people. Repent. Now, listen to this phrase, and do the work you did at first. Do the work you did at first. Now, what did Paul say was the first work? First of all then, pray. I believe that the church at Ephesus did not follow Paul's command. I don't know when it happened, but somehow first things became second or third or fourth or non-existent. And because of that, here's what Jesus was saying to them. I know you got great ministries, but you're about to lose your influence because my presence is about to be removed. I'm calling you to come back to your first love. What was the first love? Me. Intimacy with me. Make it about me. Depend upon me. Pursue me. Know me. Love me. As a faith family, this is a message to the church. He's calling them to return. Church, can I tell you, two years ago, this was the word of the Lord for us. New Beginnings Baptist Church had a great reputation across the state and even nation. Our ministries were thriving. Our church was growing. Our finances were strong. But the presence of Jesus was gone. And I truly believe in that season that God took us through, the word of the Lord was, I'm about to remove your lampstand. And there have been a handful of men and women who heard that message, and only a handful, who have said, we don't want God to leave us. We, don't wanna, we wanna be a church that what God is moving through. And for the last two years, there's been a handful of those who call New Beginnings home pleading with God every Wednesday night. And here's where I believe my challenge is for you. If you have not joined that movement, why? If you were a part of it and you stopped having the prayer, then why not return? Like this is the first thing he's calling us to do. We wonder sometimes why it is that things in our life are out of balance. Could it be that we're putting third things first? He didn't tell us his house would be a house of Bible study or house of sermons. My house would be a house of what? Prayer. Why don't we make Jesus' house what he meant for it to be? I'm asking you, join us. How many of you would just, just confess, lift your hand and say, I wanna see a fresh movement of Jesus in my own life?
Raise your hand for that. Then what are you willing to change? What are you willing to do different? You're willing to do it God's way? How many of you wanna see God move in our church in exponential ways, pour out his spirit in us like never before? Raise your hand if that's you. And what are we willing to do? God tells us where we find that kind of power. It's through gathering together in prayer. Personal prayer life is, is crucial. We've gotta pray. We can't make it through a day without prayer, amen? But we're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're the people of God. He has called us to pray together. First of all then, prayer. I'm gonna ask you to stand if you would. And here's the invitation, very simple. For those of you who raised your hand and you said, I wanna see Jesus do something in me. Like I need a fresh outpouring of his spirit in me. Then I'm gonna invite you to come and make this stage an altar. You say, what is that about? It's about humility. Prayer starts with humility. The reason so many of us don't like prayer, the reason I fight prayer so much in my flesh, even now, even though I know all the biblical truth, I fight prayer because I just wanna do it myself. And God, listen, dependence upon God begins with humility of acknowledging, God, I need you to do what I can't do for myself. So if you're needing a fresh work of the Holy Spirit, let me help you, clue you in. You can't produce that. Only Jesus can produce that. So why do we invite you to publicly come and kneel? Because that's an expression of humility where you're getting before God and saying, God, I'm gonna put the posture of my body and I'm gonna step out in humility. To, I don't care who sees this because all that matters is that I need you for something that I can't do for myself. And then for those of you who say, I wanna see that in our church, my question for you is ask the Holy Spirit, if you're not engaging on your, in, in prayer meetings and developing a corporate prayer rhythm, which may mean for some of you every week, for some it may be every other week, for some it may be once a month because of job or whatever's going on and you just can't shift that around, ask the Holy Spirit, what's keeping you from developing that rhythm? And I'm gonna encourage you to come, leave your seat and come and ask the Holy Spirit that. And for those of you who wanna see God move, make this place an altar. Let's lift up prayers and just confess together, God, we need you. We want you to be the center of this church. Amen? Holy Spirit, we, we lift these things before you. I know this is your will. Would you move upon the hearts of our people? Break us out of our pride, of our lack of humility. Lord, your word says that if we call upon you, you will answer us and you will show us mighty things that we know not of. God, we are your people. Help us to depend upon you. We need your spirit to do this work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.